this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, today I have a super interesting show, and it has to do with Reggie Littlejohn. She's the president and founder of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. Wow, that's a diverse international coalition of individuals and organizations who and which are united in their belief that forced abortion and sexual slavery in the country of China must be stopped. And I think you're going to be interested in the show because we're going to be shining light in all sorts of dark places and Reggie is like boots on the ground and she's got a network and she is super connected. She knows what's going on and she's going to enlighten us today about what it's really like to be a woman over in China today. And so Reggie, thanks for coming on to What Have We Been Wrong? Oh, thank you so much, Terry, for having me. Well, um, let's start digging deep. So first off, the name of your organization is Women's Rights Without Frontiers. So let's just, you know, I've given an introduction sentence about it, but what do you do? And of course I want to get into, you know, how in the world did you ever get involved in all of this? Well, Women's Rights Without Frontiers is an international women's rights organization, and we are focused on what I think is that has been the biggest women's rights issue in the world, which is the forced abortion of women under China's one-child policy, now two-child policy. Um, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has boasted that it has prevented 400 million lives through the one-child policy. Uh, that number is greater than the entire population of the United States and Canada combined. And then the sex-selective abortion of baby girls is also rampant in China. Uh, so we have been on the forefront of exposing these atrocities and opposing them. And the way that we have exposed them is that um, I'm an international expert on the one-child policy. I've testified eight times at the United States Congress. I've testified at the European Parliament, the British Parliament, the Irish Parliament, the Canadian Parliament. Um, I have been the keynote speaker for the Walk for Life uh, in, in um, San Francisco, the National Right to Life. I was the keynote speaker for the uh, National uh, uh, Pro-Life uh, Walk in Canada, um, and I've been interviewed by Dr. James Dobson and C-SPAN and all kinds, you know, so in other words, there's an advocacy campaign and our advocacy campaign has been incredibly successful. So, for example, we were the organization that has been the loudest um, and most persistent ever since I started this organization, which was about 2008, I started doing this work. Mm -hmm. um, my very first uh, press release was called you are funding forced abortions in China, so am I. And it was an exposure of the fact that um, the United States has been funding uh, the UNFPA, the United Nations Family Planning Fund, and International Planned Parenthood, which have been working hand-in-hand -hand with the Chinese Communist Party in their coercive birth control 
since the beginning. Um, and you know, we have been just persistently advocating that, that the U.S. defund that, and President Trump, when he came into office, finally defunded it. So we were ecstatic about that. Right, that's uh, fantastic. And I remember when that hit the news. Yeah, right. and, uh, and it was, you know, so we, we were kind of almost alone in, all, in, in our praise of him, at least among the women's rights organizations, because the Washington Post ran an article about this and then saying how terrible it was and, you know, quoting all these people about how devastating this was. And it says, and then at the end it says, but Reggie Littlejohn says, this is a great move, you know, and all the reasons why. Um, so we were kind of a lonely voice on that, but I, but I think that it's wonderful that we defunded it because as long as we we're funding it, as far as I'm concerned, the blood of the Chinese women and babies was on our hands and now it's not anymore. So thank, you know, right. President Trump for that. Okay. Well, not everybody understands about this forced abortion business over in China. Just walk us and pretend people are listening right now. And this is all new to them, Reggie. You know, they, they, I mean, maybe they know, yeah, but China, they have a lot of abortions or whatever, and they population control. What's, what, 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 what was going on under the one-child policy? Just walk us through that. What do you mean forced abortion? Are you, are, do you mean it literally forced oh. abortion? Walk us oh, through that. Oh, absolutely. I mean it literally. Okay, so let me just give you the history. So under the Mao era, Chairman Mao had said that people are the strength of China and the average fertility under the Mao era was six kids per woman. Then when Deng Xiaoping came into power, he actually started a, um, an encouragement program saying three, one, three kids is too many, two is okay, one is best. And even under that, just, just an encouragement program, the fertility rate dropped dramatically. But then for whatever reason, he decided that this was not dramatic enough and he instituted the one child policy and I'm telling you, Terry, this is a situation where women have been dragged out of their homes, strapped down to tables, mm. and, for, and forced to abort babies that they want up to the ninth month of pregnancy. And some of these forced abortions have been so uh, violent that the women themselves have died along with their full-term babies. Mm. So I mean, this is what I'm saying is that when you look at the numbers, 400 million, and then two, about 200 million forced sterilizations, just because of the numbers involved, this is the greatest uh, violation of women's rights, not only in the world today, but in the history of the earth. So, yeah. um, and, and look, you know, I look at this as, as a woman, you know, even obviously you and I are totally pro-life and we want to see an end to abortion, but even women on the other side of this issue in America, they should be rallying behind you. If they're for women's rights, I mean, Reggie, they should be rallying behind women's rights without frontiers. Because this is, this, I can't even imagine, I cannot even imagine a woman, a poor woman who wants to keep her baby and they drag her out of her, out of her home. I mean, I have read articles before where if it's a late term, I mean, they'll, they will shoot saline through her abdomen into the, um, you know, the, the, um, the womb. And I mean, then, you know, begins that kind of an abortion, a saline abortion. This is horrible. So have you talked to many of these Chinese women? Well, okay. Before we get to that, I want to address the point that you just brought up, which is that that the, the people who are supposedly pro-choice should be jumping up and down against forced abortion, and they're not, okay? Right. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. So, and, and, and Women's Rights Without Frontiers 
um, was meant to be a, a coalition of people who are pro-choice and pro-life because no one supports forced abortion because it's not a choice. Right. And but the but the pro the so-called pro-choice movement has has completely shied away from taking any kind of a a consistent stand against forced abortion in China. And to me, what that does is is it it, it makes me wonder what their true agenda is. Are they really pro-choice? I mean, if they really were pro-choice, they would be totally opposed to this. Or are they merely saying that they're pro-choice, but actually what they really are is they are pro-population control and right. they are willing to look the other way even when women are forcibly aborted. Exactly. Have you gotten feedback from anybody on the other side of this issue? I mean, do you have support from people who are pro-choice and they're just like, you know, this forced abortion stuff is, is, is terrible? Well, just a little bit. So, like... I've gotten a couple of, of contributions from people who, who are pro-choice um, and have said, you know, I'm pro-choice and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, I, I really want, I support you because, you know, because you're, you're stopping forced abortion in China, but it's always been like individuals or very small right. groups. So I, I believe that the individuals who say that they're pro-choice, you know, most of those people really are pro-choice. Okay. Uh, but I think that the organizations like now and Neron and all the rest of those ones, Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood yeah. you know, they have not taken a stand and I, and even when horrible things have come across, they have not taken a stand. Um, and I believe that, you know, I mean, my, my question is, are you really pro-choice or are you just pro-population control? Exactly. Okay? Well, well, I mean, the other thing is when, when China brags about 400 million people have been... Uh, what what is it? Pre, you know, stero, uh, prevented. Yeah, prevented from ever being born. Um, you know, you're talking you're talking about fifty percent of those are little baby girls. You know, so my my question is, how is aborting two hundred million baby girls? You know, women's health care and all of this. It's just it's an assault on women, and all women, I believe, should get behind women's rights without frontiers and um, and support your efforts. Now, I'm just curious, how, um, to what degree do you ever get to know any of the women? Have you met some of these women who have been forcibly, uh, you know, undergone abortion? Well, sure. I mean, there are women who escape China and are brave enough to testify uh, before Congress. So the first time I testified before Congress was in 2009. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I testified, one of the other people who was testifying was a, a woman who called herself Wu Jian. And she was so worried about the repercussions against her family in China that she testified with a black shroud around her head and behind a privacy screen. And Wu Jian, of course, is a pen name. That's not her real name. Mm -hmm. um, and she had an absolutely horrendous forced abortion. And I think it was six or seven months. She called, she called it, her testimony, she called it, my little foot, my lifelong pain. And so what happened to her was... Um, she, you know, had, I guess she, either she was or was not married. This is one of the problems in China. People can go through a, 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 a okay, single woman cannot have a baby. That, that's illegal. And, but, but the definitions of marriage are different between the population and, and the police, this family planning police. So, um, whereas in a, in a town, a couple could get, go through the whole cultural wedding 
and then the young woman can go with the young man and start living with the young man's family, which is what happens when you get married in rural China. Mm-hmm. And the whole community considers them to be married, but they are so poor they could not afford a marriage license, and therefore they did not get a birth permit. And therefore, when they get pregnant, it's illegal. Oh, so she, oh my so she gosh. was with her you know, husband and oh. living with his family, and, and the family planning police found out about it. So she went into hiding. She lived um, in somewhere, some remote place in this little shack without running water, without electricity. Her husband would come and, and, and leave her a bag of groceries every week. And, um, and and that was how she tried to maintain that pregnancy. And then one of their neighbors came up, found out where she was, came to her and said, look, I just want you to know, Wujian, they're beating your father-in-law to a pulp because you escaped. And if you do not allow yourself to have a forced abortion, they're going to kill him. Okay. Oh. So she was in this little shack, dying a thousand deaths, trying to think, okay, what do I do? Is, you know, do I save the life of my baby? Do they save the life of my father-in-law? Can you imagine having to make a decision like that? And in the midst of this agony that she was in, the family planning police found out where she was, came and grabbed her, brought her you know, in a van with other women who they had rounded up for forced abortions, t- took her to a... a um, you know, to some kind of a facility where there are all these women in various stages of forced abortion, you oh. know, like, you know, rolling on the floor and just, I mean, it, and, and, and they, and they gave her baby that saline injection, which is they, they inject saline into the, they tried to inject it into the skull of the baby to kill the baby. Oh, gosh. Um, and her baby stopped moving, but then mm. it not come out so she was there for two days with her dead baby inside of her oh my god for two days they said you know what you are giving us so much trouble and they took her into this operating room and there were bloody handprints on the wall and they dismembered her baby um just and in, in in the end the nurse showed her i don't know why the nurse did this the nurse took her tweezers and showed her the foot of her baby of her the dismembered foot of her baby mm-hmm. why so this is this is a, something that is just is 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 crushing. It's just crushing. You never get over. It. She said she would much rather have died than oh. to have gone lived that experience. Well, and and I think as an American and as an American woman and as American women, we should care. We should care about our sisters across the world who are having to endure. I mean, to me that to me it would have to be the greatest injustice. I mean, other than like being murdered, but to be held down and to be forced for that to happen, I think it's just an atrocity. Okay, so okay, so you're out in the public sphere, you're, you're testifying around the world, uh, let's see, but what, what, what is your organization, what does it do inside China? It just, I know you can't disclose everything, but, but in general, what, what, do you, what are you doing right there in China? So, so yeah, so we do international advocacy, which has been very effective. And one of the, you know, one of the most recent things that happened is that China has announced that they are going to stop the two-child policy. Inside of China, we have a network that does two things. Number one, we save baby girls from sex-selective abortion. And number two, we save elderly widows who've been just completely abandoned under the one-child policy. Okay. All right. So we have just enough time to get into about this sex selection abortion. So we've got about a minute and a half. Tell us a little bit about that in China. What's going on there? 
Well, China is one of a, a number of countries that has a strong son preference. And so because of the one-child policy and even under the two-child policy, people would find out through ultrasound what the gender of their baby was. Or if you're in a poor area and don't have access to ultrasound, they would just give birth to the baby. And if it was a girl, they would either abort her if they were in a, in a richer area and had access to abortion, or they would just leave her out in a field to die if they were in a poorer area and just, just they did not have access to abortion. And you mean it literally. They leave the baby out in the field and the baby will die under the elements and probably be eaten by wolves or bears yeah. or whatever they have there. Okay. Right. No, that's that. Yes, it's quite literally true. It's called giving her up. So, you know, um, so mothers-in-law typically will pressure their daughters-in-law to give up their baby girl. That can mean actually giving her or selling her to a, um, a childless couple. Sometimes it means that. And sometimes it means just putting her in a little box and, and leaving her by the river, which you know, we have documentary evidence of, of that happening. Right. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I think most people have no clue about this, and they certainly didn't know about the high numbers. Uh, and and I, I just, you know, before we, we stop with this hard break, I just really want to encourage people to learn more by going onto your website, reading your blog. You've got a great blog where you can really keep people up to date. And, and then, you know, figure out a way maybe where they can help you. Now, when we come back, we're going to be talking more about the, uh, the, the forced sex selection, you know, that's happening in China. But I also want to get into your two different, um, the two things you're running, Save a Girl and Save a Widow. How can people do that? And then I, I want to know more about the boots on the ground. What, what are they doing there for your organization to whatever degree you can share? So we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, we're back with Reggie Littlejohn with Women's Rights Without Frontiers, and, and we're talking about all this, the, 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 uh, the large-scale abortion that's happening in China, and so unfairly uh, against women who want to keep their babies and they're forced into abortion, and and how China used to have the one-child policy and they've recently liberalized it. I put that in quote marks to a two-child policy. But before we get into all that, I forgot to ask you, Reggie, in that first segment, how in the world <laughs> did you get involved in all this? This is so unusual. You're, you're one single American woman and you're just rocking the world. <laughs> so how did, how did you get involved? Well, I'll tell you what. It was a bigger surprise to me than to anyone else. I mean, I never thought I would be involved <laughs> with this. So, so I'm a lawyer. I am a graduate of Yale Law School. I was a litigator in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, an intellectual property uh, and complex commercial litigator. And I also rep represented Chinese refugees in their cases for political asylum in the United States. And my first refugee was someone who had been persecuted as a Christian, 
and forcibly sterilized under the one-child policy. And so this was in the mid-90s that I represented her. What I mean by forcibly sterilized is she had had two children. They wanted to sterilize her. Um, these forced sterilizations are not carried out by highly trained gynecological surgeons. They are trained out, but you and I could probably have, have as much training as these people get in two weeks, oh, right, dear. out in the countryside. And so they just butcher these women. So my, my client did not want to have this sterilization because other women in her village had been completely not, their, their entire health was ruined by these sterilizations. So cadres, like a dozen cadres would come to her door every day wanting to sterilize her, and she refused and refused. So they finally physically picked her up, dragged her out of her home, screaming and pleading, oh. held her down to a table, sliced her open, tied her fallopian tubes, oh. without anesthesia. Oh my God. Okay? And sure enough, just like other people in her village, she got a massive infection and she oh. had chronic back pain, chronic abdominal pain, and chronic migraines probably for the rest of the lot, her life. From the time that she had the surgery to the time that she came to the United States and met me, she, it had been chronic, and I don't see any reason that it's not continuing. Right. So um, so that's how I found out about it. And I remember sitting in my beautiful office in this very nice law firm on a beautiful day in, in San Francisco, thinking to myself, here I am living the American dream. Right, right. And I can't believe that on the other side of the earth, at this very moment, Right. Women are being dragged out of their homes, strapped down to tables, and forcibly aborting babies that they want. I just, this can't, I just can't believe that this is happening. So then, in 2003, I got very, very sick. And I had to leave the, the legal profession on a medical leave of absence. And what happened, basically, is I had to have bilateral mastectomies um, with implant reconstruction, which is usually about two months off of work. But I got an MRSA staph infection, like implanted into my body during the surgery, oh, and uh -huh. I couldn't control it, and it was just a horrible mess. And there was a time when my husband and I didn't know whether I would live or whether I would die. Mm -hmm. uh, these things can be fatal. And so during that time, I went basically overnight from being a high-powered litigation supervising attorney to being someone who's flat on my back, begging God to spare my life. And I prayed to God um, to break my heart for whatever broke, breaks his heart, and immediately my mind went to the women and the babies of China. Like, oh. so, um, so during that time, and I was disabled for five years, God turned me around 180 degrees from using the skills that I had learned as a litigation attorney representing the, the biggest software companies in the world, okay, in, in, in better company litigation, turned all those skills to advocating on behalf of the women and the babies of China. Wow. And that's how Women's Rights Without Frontiers was born. Reggie, I, I'm in tears just <laughs> listening to how God called you into this. And, and, and plus, you were sick for five years. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, now, you, you're setting, you've already set, you know, a beautiful example of a woman who's standing for truth, you know, because you, you know that, that, that the women in America who are pro-choice minded, uh, that 
that they have they have you've given them every single reason to get behind you to, to to stand with you and to say no more and to help our sisters over in china i mean because it's just so wrong okay so so okay so that's how you got involved so what was what was your first step so it's like okay god i'm gonna go help the women in china what did you do did you pack your okay. bag or what'd you do okay <laughs> Carrie, listen to this. This is, I mean, this whole thing is just so crazy. I never thought I'd be doing this. Okay, so first thing the Lord put on my heart was, I, I said to him, Lord, I am a woman of action. What do you want me to do? I'm a lawyer. I could go back and be an international human rights lawyer. Um, and and the, the Lord, I felt that the Lord was putting it on my heart to, to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Like, what? write a screenplay mm -hmm. you know i don't know how to write a screenplay and, and i and, and i felt like the, the impressed that the lord was saying my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness Woo. so um <laughs> you know he chose something i have no idea how to do and i'm telling you that writing this screenplay was like giving birth it was a very close partnership with the lord i mean i was praying i was on my face in prayer i was fasting through the writing of the screenplay and when I was done, I submitted it to a couple of um, script consultants who helped me get it down from 240 pages to 110 pages mm -hmm. uh, and submitted it to some screenwriting contests. And it, it just started winning these contests. And these are secular contests. So anyway, the script is called Pearls of China. And I would love to make it into a movie, but that's a whole other story. So, so in the process of doing this and researching this screenplay, I got on the websites of, of every Chinese human rights organization I could find. Mm -hmm. and, and so on one of those, the, the organization, um, what they did is they did Chinese human rights in front of the par European Parliament. Um, and they sent out an email to everybody saying, this is 2008, and they said, we're having a conference at the European Parliament about human rights in China in connection with the Olympics in Beijing. Do you remember the Olympics were in Beijing in 2008? Mm -hmm. Here's our list of ex experts and here's our list of issues. And I did something I never have done before. I emailed the president and I said, great list of experts, great list of issues. Uh, why, you know, how come no one's talking about the one-child policy? And the president of that organization emailed me back and said, Ms. Littlejohn, don't you realize that the coercive enforcement of the one-child policy is a thing of the past? And I said, oh, really? Well, and this is when my litigation instincts kicked in. Yeah. What about this document? What about this document? What about this document? What about this document? What about this? And, and finally, he wrote back and said, Ms. Littlejohn, you've convinced me. <laughs> I surrender. <laughs> I love it. I lo hey, hold on. I've just got to add in something here. I'm looking at um, uh, Blessed Pope Paul VI's letter to women dated... December 8, 1965, and he was writing this letter to women all around the world, and it ends like this. He says, women, you do know how to make truth sweet, tender, and accessible. Make it your task to bring the spirit of this council into institutions, schools, homes, and daily life. Women of the entire universe, whether Christian or non-believing, you to whom life is entrusted at this grave moment in history, it is for you to save the peace of the world. And I'm just, I'm thinking, Reggie's doing it. Reggie's <laughs> doing it. I got my own little thing going on myself, you know, with Jose Initiative, but Reggie's doing it. It's just beautiful. I, I love it. Okay, keep on. Okay, so, so you blow the lid off and this guy is speechless and he's like, uh, okay, now what happens? <laughs> so he said, will you be our expert and come to um, 
to, to you know to, to testify before the European Parliament uh, <laughs> at, at our expense and be the first person ever to testify about the one child policy and I about just fell off of my my chair I couldn't believe it <laughs> you know so I said yes and I went and I testified at the European Parliament and 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 it turns out that I was the first person ever to pull, pull together um, and again this is my legal analysis the causal connections between all of the unintended consequences of the one-child policy. So you've got the forced abortion and the forced sterilization, which leads to infanticide, which leads to genocide, the sex-selective abortion of baby girls, which leads to um, this, this gender imbalance where there's 37 million more men living in, chi in China than women, which leads to human trafficking and sexual slavery. No one had put it together like that before, and my testimony was put in a book about, you know, uh, uh, about human rights in China. Wow. And, and from that moment on, I was like the world expert on the one-child policy, which is so <laughs> funny because I had never intended that. It had been, it, it, <laughs> but, you know, we serve an awesome God, so God had it all. <laughs> he had it all masterminded. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's some place in the Bible, and I'm sorry I can't quote it exactly, where it, it says something like, you know, you're, you're, first of all, you have good works that have been established for you from the beginning that you would walk in them. But then there's another place where it says, and these works are based on the calling of God and not on your qualifications. Right. And that's the thing. You know, I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not an East Asian studies major. I don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. This is, this is, this is by the hand of God. He's knitted all together. Okay. So yeah. then, so to that, so that. I, mean, I think this is amazing because I'm, I'm making notes as, you, as you're as you're talking. You know, so 2003, you're sick, and you're sick for the next five years. So it's now 2008, and you're sticking your foot in the realm right. of all this, and now all of a sudden you're the world's leading expert in what's going on in China. This is amazing. Okay, so yeah. keep on. What happens next? Well, anyway, so so then I established Women's Rights Without Frontiers, and we've done many things. Um, you know, as I said, we have the international advocacy campaign, and I should say that China um, just last week announced that, that it is considering uh, abandoning the two-child policy, but see, the way that they word that makes it sound, again, like they're abandoning all coercive population control, but that's not what they're doing. Uh, so the, the point is that they said that they're doing this because of their rapidly aging um, population and because of international criticism Ooh. international criticism well who's been leading the international criticism you know? <laughs> I mean this makes me feel great like you know like we've really been heard you know and, and, and the person who said this was an anonymous source who's either in or close to the Chinese Communist Party uh, and I'm sure that when he said uh, international criticism they probably they probably came back and said you know what you shouldn't have said that because we, our position is that we don't listen to international criticism <laughs> you know that's what they were saying we don't care what you say you're interfering with our internal affairs when actually they do care they Absolutely. really oh yeah and, of course they and do I've yep. seen the international criticism so I you know I feel very happy about this move on but they haven't done it yet and and the, and the problem with it is that what they said is the new rule is that all couples will be able to decide how many children they can have. All right, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Most of their abortions, at least according to them, are of single women. And they say nothing about single women being able to have children. So, but, wait a minute, but they still consider that poor, rural, single woman who did not have the money for a marriage license, but she essentially is married, it, it, uh, the, but they're considering her still single, right? 
Right. I mean, that that is is one problem. And then there are other situations where she is clearly single. Like, right, you know, sure. the, you know, like in the United States, people right. get pregnant. They, they, you know, they didn't mean to find that you can't forcibly abort them. Right. Okay. You know, but, I mean, it's thirty nine point eight percent of the births in our nation are to single women. That's almost 40 percent. All of those would have been forcibly aborted in China, mm-hmm. although sometimes they will give the woman a choice. There, I, I, I spoke at the Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. around this time last year mm-hmm. with Congressman Chris Smith and, and, a, and a victim of forced abortion in China who um, was forcibly aborted at, I think, six or seven months because she was single. And um, they gave her a so-called choice. And the choice was to pay you know, this enormous fine, which she could not afford. So people go to China or the Chinese Communist Party and their in their official propaganda will say, well, we, you know, if somebody gets pregnant illegally, they can pay a fine. What they don't say is that that fine can be up to 10 times a person's annual salary. Uh-huh. So think what you make in a year, right. multiply it by 10, and think about whether you could come up with that amount of money on an emergency basis to maintain a pregnancy. Right. Most people can't. And then they are forcibly aborted. Mm. Well, um, let, let me ask you this: the women who do like go into hiding, like your friend who testified to Congress, Wu, Wu Jian. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if they're successful and they have the baby in hiding, how do they how do they bring that baby back into the community and not be busted? Okay. So there's there, there if you can pay the fine you can bring your baby back into the community and it will get uh, something called HUKO, H-U-K-O-U, HUKO. HUKO is Chinese household registration. And if you do not have the money to pay the fine, you will bring your baby back in secret and raise your baby in secret without HUKO. And what that means is that without HUKO, a baby will not be able to have a birth certificate, will not be able to be um, educated, they will not be able to have health care. They will not be able to get a passport. They will not be able to officially work. They will not be able to be to officially marry. They are basically invisible, illegal people in their own land. Oh and that's my gosh. we also want to end is to end the hookah system. So that's what happens to to a lot of illegal babies. Okay. The point I want to drive home here before we wrap it up for this segment is that this comes down to worldview. And which is one of the big focuses of my show is at the end of the day, no matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're at, everybody has a worldview and everybody has to answer the same questions. You know, where do we came, where do we come from? And, uh, and, and what, what you're describing is the fallout, you know, the consequences of a communist government. You know, they're atheist run. They do not look at their citizens made in the image of God. They look at them as objects. They look at them as wards of the state. And, and I mean, just listen to this culture of death that you're describing, Reggie. And so, I mean, God must be smiling because you're shaking. <laughs> I think you're making the earth spin in a different direction in a way <laughs> with, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, what, what you're doing with China. Um, okay, so be- before we break, um, tell us just a little bit, and we're going to cover it more when we come back. You had the opportunity... Actually, I didn't realize it was this late, so we're going to have to pick it up in the next segment. But in the next segment, we're going to ask Reggie how she ended up adopting a little Chinese baby girl. 
and we want to know all about it. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. We're going to be shining light in dark places. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Okay, Reggie, we've saved the best for last. Um, I really want to know how in the world did you get connected with um, who the, the young lady now, and you're going to have to tell me her name, but she was 10 years old when you uh, became her legal guardian. What was the situation, and how in the world did were you able to bring her back to the United States? Well, okay, so there's she's the daughter of a famous dissident named Zhang Lin, he was trained as a nuclear physicist and gave up what could have been a life of privilege to be a leader in the Tiananmen Square pro-democracy movement. And because of that, he's been in jail and tortured, in and out of jail and tortured for 16 years since 1989. And when the Chinese government could not silence him by directly jailing him and torturing him, they kidnapped his daughter, Annie, out of her fourth grade uh, elementary school and detained her overnight, would not allow her to, to return to school, uh, she put her and her father under house arrest. So she's known as China's youngest prisoner of conscience. Wow. And they, they, became, they escaped house arrest, they became fugitives, and when they were caught, uh, her father got word out to me saying, could you please bring Annie to the United States uh, because she can't lead a normal life here. So with the help of some very brave people in China who helped Annie get out of China, and three or four of whom were detained and even tortured themselves, um, and also brave people in the United States, especially Congressman Chris Smith, we were able to get Annie and her older sister out of China, and we are, have been raising Annie as our own daughter ever oh. since then. So you're legal guardians of Annie. Okay, so uh, how many years now have you had Annie? It'll be, it'll be five years this September, and um, something that's very wonderful about Annie is uh, when she came to our home, we have a piano, and she just would, she, she, she had no training, but she would just try to sound notes out on the piano mm -hmm. over and over again, trying to sound tunes out. So I went to my husband, and I said, look, why don't we get her piano lessons? She doesn't speak any English. Um, you know, it'll give her an outlet. We'll get her a Mandarin-speaking piano teacher, and at least she'll have somebody in her life who speaks Mandarin, and she'll be able to take piano lessons, which is universal language. And let's just, you know, let's give her get her piano lessons. So we got her piano lessons, and um, little did we know that the teacher that we that we gave, you know, that we that became her piano teacher, his name is Matt Wong, is one of the top teachers in the country, and within two years she won an international competition to. Um, perform in Carnegie Hall, and she performed in Carnegie Hall oh Christmas 2016. Isn't oh. that a <laughs> Well, 
I, I'm, I'm just thinking here that, you know, God's smiling. He's smiling at all of this. And so, so, but a quick question though, is her father still in jail over in China? Her father got out of jail about a year and a half ago. And another big thing that I did is, is get him status to come to the United States. And he's now in the United States. So he's living in New York. I see. Okay. Wow. What a blessing. What a blessing. Okay. Now what I, cause I want to make sure we save time for this. Explain to our listeners, what is the save a girl campaign and what's the save a widow campaign uh, for the girls and widows over in China? What, what is all this about? So the, the save a girl campaign has to do with the sex selective abortion of baby girls. And uh, this, this has to do with just brutal son preference in China, um, where especially second daughters are are at risk. And it continues to be that way, because even if they allow couples to have as many kids as they want, most couples don't want to have more than one or two kids, because it's very expensive to have children in China. Mm-hmm. So they want their only child or one of their two children to be a boy, and what that does is that puts second daughters at very high risk of either um, sex selective abortion or abandonment. And so what? And and this has this is for women. These women don't want to abort or abandon their babies. Okay, the, the pressure comes from either the mother-in-law usually, or their their husband's grandparents, the grandparents, mm-hmm. but it comes, it's, it's, it's a very intense pressure coming through the husband's side of the family to the woman to abort or abandon her baby girl. And we find out about these women because we have a network on the ground inside of China and we'll go to their door and say, you know, congratulations on your baby girl. Uh, girls are as good as boys. Mm-hmm. Please don't or abandon her. And we will give you a monthly stipend for a year to empower you to keep your daughter. And these women have have never heard anyone say that girls are as good as boys. I mean, that's just like not an unheard of message in rural China. Wow. Number one. That's a big eye-opener to them. And then to offer them money every month as like a, a way to help them support their daughter, but also as a way to just extol the dignity of girls and and what it does is it enables them to use the culture around luck to save their daughters they go to their mother-in-law and they say uh i can't abort or abandon this baby girl she's a lucky girl look she's already bringing money into the family oh i see okay Uh And, and 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 we have saved hundreds of baby girls this way And it's astonishing how little money it takes. Well, I was just going to ask you, how much on average does it take to be able to... Oh, we offer them, uh, it's like $300 a year. That's it? $300 a year? That's it? $300. And to save life in China. Wow. Uh, So people people donate like $25 a month, and and that's, that's enough to help save a, a life in China. Oh, now we wow. we now we put in the organization puts in money to to help to, to pay for the field worker and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So anyway, uh and and the woman herself gets about 160 181 a month, which is about $20 a month and $5 goes to the field worker. But anyway, point is this is I don't know I don't, I don't think that that American organizations can say I, I'm not going to make that comparison. I'm going to strike that. <laughs> uh, 
So, so yeah, it's about three hundred dollars a month um, to save a life in China, and these, you know, and you know, well, how, saving, many, how many girls do you think you've saved so far since since hundreds, you implemented this? Hundreds. We've we've saved hundreds. Hundreds. Uh, okay. And the Save a Widow campaign is similar in structure, and it's the same network. So, in the same little rural villages where we are in China. There are also these abandoned widows um, where their husbands may have died from something that's very expensive like cancer. So what, what would happen is if, if a man gets a diagnosis like that, typically what will happen is that, that he and his wife will borrow money from everyone they know to try to get the chemotherapy mm -hmm. and then he'll get the chemotherapy and then he will die anyway leaving the widow with a mountain of debt. Uh, and these win wi widows are, are abandoned by their children. You know, the Chinese government d does not have social security. So these widows are just impoverished. So I have one widow, for example, only before we were able to help her, she was eating only salt some days. Um, and she had bought herself a rope to hang herself with when life got too tough. And, the, and this is the thing, is the, the unseen, the silent, the invisible victims of the one-child policy are the elderly because... They have no they, families. I mean, God no, gives us children to... That's our social security. They have no social security. That's exactly right. So, so the family structure has been destroyed. The family structure in rural China, far, farming families used to be two parents would have you know multiple children and then those multiple children would have multiple children and you have this big pyramid... Um, and so that when the elderly couple gets yeah. old in need, you've got this enormous family to support them. It's not a problem. Okay. Now you've got a situation where you have an, an upside down pyramid right. of four grandparents, and two parents to one child and people just can't, you know, the, the, the parent level just can't afford to be supporting their, their elderly parents and their child and themselves. Mm -hmm. And so these elderly are, are abandoned and a lot of them are committing suicide. Um, yeah, so they've seen this, this steep rise in senior suicide um, and the suicide itself is really troubling but also troubling is the way it's almost starting to be considered to be the normal way to die. Oh it's my gosh, it's such a culture of death. It, I mean, it, oh, it. yeah. But like, I, I got a question though, I'm looking back on, on this timeline. When you had said under Mao, you know, he was like, what, what was it, on average six babies per woman in China, but then under Deng Xiaoping, is that his name, Deng Xiaoping? Deng Xiaoping, yes. Okay, I can't pronounce it quite. Okay, and it went from three to two to one. What what um, decade did he come into power? Do you know? What, when did they start this child uh, limit? I, I, cannot, I cannot pinpoint exactly you know when it was the three to two to, to one but i can pinpoint when the one child part policy started okay. which was in 1980 i think it was september okay that just gives of 1980 yeah. is when the one child policy officially started okay now lisa gives listeners an idea they might not know you're talking 1920 you know 1850 <laughs> but it was, so 1980 one child policy yeah Okay, no. Okay, so 80 up to 2018, so, you know, so we're talking now a number of decades, and did, and did I hear you say there are 37 million more men in China? Right, I mean, the estimates vary, um, so that's one estimate. Whoa. But yes, there's about 37 million more men than women living in China, and so what that's doing is it's driving human trafficking, 
and sexual slavery, not only within China, but from the surrounding nations as well. Wow. Okay. And which, uh, which surrounding countries is that really prevalent at, um, or it's causing such a big problem? Well, I mean, okay. What are some of the other countries? I'm thinking many other, many other countries, including for example, Vietnam and then North Korea is, is the one that's really a big concern because what happens is if, if human rights is worse anywhere else in the world than China, it's North Korea. Okay. And, um, people escape over the border between North Korea and China and, uh, and it's considered to be treason by the North Korean government to escape North Korea. So these young women and girls get snapped up into the sex slave trade. Um, you know, when they get into China and they and they can't go to the Chinese authorities and say, "Look, I'm I've I've been kidnapped. I'm being raped. I'm being abused." Because if they do, the Chinese authorities will just say, "Oh, you're an illegal economic migrant," and they'll repatriate them to North Korea against international um, refugee law, and then then they can end up in one of these horrible uh, okay. concentration camps where they can end up dying. Wow. Um, so so that so the, so. That's a, a, a big problem is uh, sexual slavery from North Korea. Okay. All right. Now, shifting over to something really positive, you had the opportunity to meet Mother Teresa. How and why did you get a chance to meet with her? Well, I went to Calcutta twice, once in 85 and once in 88, to work with Mother Teresa. And... Um, and it's actually not very hard to do, or at least wasn't in those days. You could just sort of show up at her doorstep, <laughs> and the nuns would just bring you right in, and you could pick where you wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And I met her on a number of occasions, and she encouraged me to become a member for order, which I probably would have if I had not just married my husband. He doesn't like to hear that. but <laughs> <laughs> her, <laughs> I, If I had been unmarried, I think I probably would be a missionary of charity right now. Oh. Okay. So what was Mother Teresa like when you... Oh, my gosh. She was the most luminous person I've ever met in my life. So my husband and I, I, I you know, we could do a whole show on, on my memories of Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. But just as an example, my husband and I had just walked in the door. We were sitting down on a bench outside their little teeny tiny office. Um, waiting for them to give us a sheet of paper with the, the list of places they recommend to stay and the list of homes that we can work at. So we're just sitting there. We're just total non-entities sitting in the hallway. All of a sudden, I see this flurry of white to my right, and then all of a sudden, it's Mother Teresa herself. Wow. And she came up to Rob and me and just and pressed our hands and said, welcome, very good, very good, welcome, very good, very good one to each one of us, looking us in the eyes, personally welcoming us, taking our hands, she would put your hand on her hand, under your hand and over your hand, very mm-hmm. warm. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then whisking off into, you know, the private quarters. And we looked at each other and we was like, we, we can't believe that mother Teresa herself, <laughs> we've been here for five minutes and we've been personally welcomed by mother Teresa. And it went from there. I mean, really, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of stories about working with her. Well, tell us one more story. We have just enough time. What, what's another favorite story? I mean, did you ever work beside her, like work beside her? Well, or, I mean, we're not quite working beside her, but no, no, I mean, it was she, she, okay. That's a long thing. But I'll tell you a favorite story. One favorite story is, 
she would uh, she encouraged the volunteers to go to mass in the morning which was very early like five or six in the morning and then go to holy hour in the evening and i went to holy hour my first evening i was late okay so i walk into the chapel and i see mother Teresa on the left in the back mm -hmm. i thought okay i'm gonna sneak around the other side of the chapel hopefully she won't notice me <laughs> that i'm late mm -hmm. all right so i snuck around the other side of the chapel i knelt down with this rosary and didn't know where we were because I was late. And then I sensed this presence above me, mm -hmm. and it's Mother Teresa. And she, and she bends down and she shows me which bead we're on. Oh my gosh. Oh. And I thought to myself, okay, wow. Oh. Now I know that I do not want to interrupt Mother Teresa's rosary. I need to be on time. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then afterwards, she invited me to become her apostle of the rosary and that but that's a whole nother long story oh, so okay all right well well okay we I want to get back to action items we have just enough time tell our listeners you know if you could name three things you would want the listeners of this show to know or to do like to do what would you tell them Reggie what are the, what do they need to be doing well, I mean, I would go on my website. So that's womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org, womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org. And I would ask you to click on the Save a Girl campaign button. That's the big button to the right. And right beneath it is the Save a Widow campaign button. And read about those campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, so, and I would also ask you to check out my blog. So we just posted a blog post about uh, the move from a two-child policy to, you know, to whatever they're going to be doing, saying that all couples can have as many kids as they want. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, if you want to be up to speed on what's going on, um, the blog is the place to go. But if you want to actually do something, uh, you can't, you know, we're the only organization in the world, as far as I know, where you can actually get money to, to the doorstep of a woman who is either being pressured to abort or abandon her girl or to a desperate widow who has no hope in the world other than the hope that we're bringing her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those are three three items right there. So the website, study up on Save a Girl and, and uh, Save a Widow, uh, read the blog, make a contribution. And, um, you know, Reggie, God's chosen you. He's so clearly chosen you for such a time as this. And, and to me, it's like your big sparkle, you know, because it's like how many people out there can have that kind of energy, that acumen to understand the law. So, I mean, clearly get, God, God appointed you for such a time as this. So, Godspeed, uh, safe travels, and I pray that you raise all the money you need to raise to help as many people as possible. And I pray, too, I hope that women in America, all women, even pro-choice women, that they will go to your website, study up on this. I hope they'll email you and give you a call to say, how can we help? You know, I mean, imagine if one movie star, one movie star got behind what you're doing. One movie star, say, even if they came out and they said, I'm pro-choice, but forcing Chinese women into these abortions is just plain wrong. And, the, and a whole movement. I mean, I'm telling you, the world's gonna start spinning in a different direction. <laughs> so thanks for being on, Reggie.